So what's going on podcast? I know the quality of this introduction isn't going to be great. Literally recording this off my laptop. But I want to give a bit of context to this talk that you're about to hear. This was for the Grace Deer Trust, an amazing family who have been following me on Instagram and Facebook for a while. They reached out, asked me to come and speak at their year celebration dinner as a charity. And within an hour, two hours of meeting them, I was on stage doing what you're about to hear. And they are such an inspirational family. It's always amazing when I hear of stories of people turning tragedy into really, really powerful things. They're helping so many people. And it was really an honor to spend some time with them. This talk was the normal kind of talk that I gave. I did start going off into more about what we should be doing with awareness, the awareness that we're creating around mental health and why it isn't good enough in terms of prevention. I'm gonna go straight into the talk, hope you enjoy it. And I saw him, I looked in his eyes and I just didn't know what to do anymore. I was just so drained emotionally from just that six month period, I didn't know what to do anymore. I went home, I went to work the next day, just got on with life and thought Deb will be okay. My dad ended his life that next day. I never ever saw him again. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Paul McGregor. Can everyone hear me, yeah? I don't know how I live up to that um, introduction. Um, I think that's the best introduction I've ever had. So. Um, before I start, I'm going to explain my story and then I'm going to share... Um, I always say it's very difficult. I've got to try and get 10 years of my life down into 10 minutes. So I've got to try and get as much out as I possibly can. But before I actually start, can I just get one huge round of applause for everyone involved in this amazing charity. Um, I've actually met them two hours ago and they've already you know, inspired me in terms of how much they've done already in such a short space of time. Um, and I just think it's amazing, especially turning a tragedy into something like that, into something what they've done, is, is really inspirational. So I kind of want to just say that first. This is also very difficult for me, because there's like half a room here and half a room here. And I'm worried that this is my best side and there's less of you over this side. So I don't know how I should be looking. Um, but anyway, serious stuff. So I always say my life was quite easy all the way up until 18. I had quite a normal childhood. Um, I was quite academic at school. I had friends, I had family. My mum and dad were together from a very young age. I had a brother of two years older than me. We lived in a three-bedroom house that then turned into a four-bedroom house. Normality at its you know, finest. And my dad was someone who was very together. He had a full-time job as an engineer. He had a, a part-time physiotherapy business. He had a, psych a psychology degree. He ran once, if not twice a day. He was an amazing runner as well. And the only way that I can explain it is one day, he just broke. Um, I saw my dad, his eyes were so different, like very, very different, and he was saying things that I didn't understand at the time and I still don't understand to this day. And my dad went to the doctors and seeked help. Now my dad never took a paracetamol to cure a headache and now all of a sudden he was on these antidepressants. He went back a day or two later and said, they're not working, I still feel terrible. And he said, double your dose. A couple of days later, my dad attempted suicide for the first time. 
And from a breakdown to an attempted suicide, it was less than probably you know eight days. It was so quick. And none of us understood it as a family. My dad was very lucky. He survived that accident. We were very lucky because I think I would have dealt with it very differently if that was the case. He came round from the physical injuries, denied it, blamed it on the medication. We all agreed with him. And about a month later, my dad was home. And you can probably already tell, actually, from my dress sense, I'm from Essex. Has anyone ever? Essex. Um, yeah, literally, like, these two live near, near me. Um, and I was at home <laughs> eating fish and chips, which is what we do a lot of in Essex. And it was amazing to have my dad back. I was like, my dad's home, the nightmare's over. And essentially, the nightmare got worse. My dad got worse. He ended up sectioning himself and was in a mental health unit for about two to three months. And we still didn't understand it. You know, I tried to fix my dad's depression. I didn't understand how I could help him. None of us could understand it. And six months after his initial breakdown, my dad was at a really, really low point. And we managed to get him into the hospital. Again, there's so much more to this, but we then managed to get him into the mental health unit. A couple of days later, he was discharged. And um, I went to see him on the Tuesday night. He was at my nana granddad's, and my dad was broken. My dad was very unwell and I saw him I looked in his eyes and I just didn't know what to do anymore I was just so drained emotionally from just that six month period I didn't know what to do anymore I went home I went to work the next day just got on with life and thought dad will be okay my dad ended his life that next day I never ever saw him again and it was so hard for me at that moment because there's so much guilt that comes with suicide bereavement and I'm sure a lot of people in this room that has been touched by you know, grace or any other suicide bereavement. For me, it's grief with the volume turned up. It's so hard to deal with. I went, I went clubbing six days after my dad's suicide because as an 18-year-old man, that was the only way that I dealt with it. I put on that mask and I went out with my friends. I started a business. I buried all of that emotion and just got on with it because that's the only way that I could ever deal with it. And two years later, I found myself in a very, very dark place very, very dark place, um, and that distraction that I was just, you know, feeding myself with, slowly, you know, the grief crept up on me, and I didn't know how to deal with it anymore. And the one question that I kept asking myself was why? Like, why did my dad take his own life? I couldn't understand it, and that's the thing with suicide grief, is you never ever understand the situation that they're in, the headspace that they're in, the illness that they've got, unless you've actually been there. And I found myself, I'd been to see a counsellor, it didn't work. I'd been to see a psychiatrist, it didn't work. Then I was having a conversation with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and she said, you should go see this lady called Anne. She's really weird. She knows more stuff about you than you know about yourself, okay? And for some reason at 21, I was drawn to this weird lady, okay? So I had a back problem. I booked it simply for a massage. She offered a massage for donations. Now, it's not one of those massages. <laughs> I've seen a couple of you already, like, judge me. Going from Essex, going for a massage for a camera. I've been to Thailand, just to feel like that. And I was in her room, and four foot five lady, about 65 years old, walks in. There's wow music playing in the background. It's dark. It's a wheel. It's like, I don't know what I'm getting in myself for. 
Um, I went there, I had the massage, came back out. Went back the next week. She said, why are you here? I said, I'm here for my back. My back's really sore. She said, why are you really here? And I said, my dad killed himself. I don't know how to deal with it. And I just cried my eyes out. I flooded her whole bungalow. And um, that, for me, was the turning point. As soon as I opened up that emotion, that was the turning point for me. I buried it for two years. I didn't talk to anyone about it. I lied about it. I was ashamed of it. I blamed him. I was angry towards him. I was angry towards myself. But two years later, I actually started to deal with it a little bit better. And I kind of just want to share a few things that actually helped me deal with it. And if you've ever experienced it, then hopefully this will help you. The thing that I actually realized that my dad was very unwell. And my dad was just burying emotions and keeping himself busy. As I've said, he was a full-time engineer. He had a part-time business. He ran every minute that he could. He was just busy, 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 busy. My dad saved for retirement at 50. He killed himself at 45 because he was just keeping busy and keeping busy because he was distracting himself from, from pain, from emotions that none of us ever understood. I also understood that my dad felt like he was a burden to all of us. And this is the hardest thing. When you lose someone to suicide, you actually think that they've done it to you. Okay, so I was like, why has my dad done this to me? Did my dad not love me? Was my whole 18 years a lie with him? Was my whole life a lie? And I've actually realized that when you're in that place, you feel like you're a burden to everyone around you. And by you ending your life, you're actually doing everyone a favor. And actually hearing that and understanding that actually made me find peace of it. That my dad felt like he was a burden to me, my mum, my brother, and him taking his life was his way of saying that this is for you. The other thing as well that I've, I've realized is when you're in that, in that moment, the whole perception of life closes in on you. My dad had so much to live for, so much to live for. From the outside, we were like, why are you depressed? You've got nothing to be depressed about. But for him, tunnel vision. All he can see is this tunnel vision of this is how I need to deal with that. Now, what I've recently done is it's been nearly 10 years since my dad took his life. For the last year, I've been doing videos, sharing the story, talking, raising awareness. I wrote a book. I just tried to do as much as I possibly can because what's amazing to me is when I share, everyone shares. It's if someone's okay to be vulnerable, everyone's okay to be vulnerable as well. And there's so much more awareness around mental health now, and I think if we all accept that it's not one in four, we don't have to look for the one in four, it's one in one, we all have a mind, we all have mental health, we all should know how to deal with it and help others with it, it will make us all be more open, okay? And so many of you may feel like you have to wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask. Take that mask off, be okay with being vulnerable, and so many more people can change from that. The last thing that I do wanna say as well is I will keep talking, and the amazing work that Grace Deer do as well, and every other charity will keep talking until something is done. There's so much more awareness around mental health now, but still there's a lack of support. More people are going to find help, but there's still no resources there. And it's not fair that a small little charity like Grace Deer, like all of the other charities, have to pick up the slack. There should be more funding into mental health, there should be more resources. If this was a physical illness, killing more young people, killing more men under 45 than any other illness, there'd be far more funding and far more resources. But it doesn't seem the case. If Prince William, the future king, is talking about mental health, there's still nothing's being done. Who else has got to talk about mental health? So for me, let's just keep talking, let's keep raising awareness, and I think with time, as we said, 
If it takes five years, ten years, we need to stop people suffering in silence. We need to stop people taking their own lives because there's a crisis on our hands and we need to do more about it. Um, and I just want to say a huge thanks to all of you for listening. And I appreciate you inviting me down all the way from Essex. So as always, it's amazing to deliver talks, as you heard there. It's something that I always seem to go off into different places as well. There's no slides, there's no preparation. I've got most of the story down now, and I feel like sometimes I drift to other places, and, and hopefully it gave you a bit of value. I once one again, thank you to the Grace Tier Trust, everyone in there in the evening, and again, a huge thanks to you for listening to this podcast episode. If you've been enjoying the podcast or any of the other content that I'm putting out, all across social media, which you can find by searching for Paul McGregor or going to pmcgregor.com across most social channels, then please feel free to reach out to me, either email or on message, or more importantly, for this podcast, leave a rating and a review. That will help massively. A rating and a review is going to help with the exposure of this podcast and, of course, raise more awareness around mental health. Just want to say, have a great evening, have a great day, have a great week, and I'll speak to you soon.